Welcome to In Review, the podcast where either one or both of us have not seen the film we are about to watch. I'm Jesse. And I'm Ryan. And today, well, well, first off, as we go into the selection of the film we're going to watch today, Jesse, mm-hmm. I think we need to take a minute or two to go ahead and to say, Edgar Wright, you are a genius. We love you. Baby Driver was a fantastic film, people. Yes. I mean, I think it had everything that I could ever want in a movie. Yeah. It was pretty dang awesome. Um, the, I, it was practically even, without giving too much away, I think if you've seen the trailer, it's kind of, besides being action and kind of heist type of a film, it's kind of like a musical. Yeah, people are calling it a musical, actually. Yeah. Oddly enough, I mean, no one's really singing. There no. is actually I, um, there is some singing, but we won't get into it. Right, right. Well, anyways, I, I think that what Edgar Wright does a really good job at is he takes a film and then he immerses you with the music and blends it together very well. So it's not just an enjoyable film that has good music, but that the music is incorporated as part of the film. It is. It's definitely something that ever since the medium of sound was introduced into films, you know, from its early from the early days back in black and white, you know, going from silent to that, music has phenom it is become integral. Like, you can't just not have it. I agree. I agree. Now, Edgar Wright, if you don't know who he is, is the, is the genius. I think we've actually gloated about him the last episode. Probably. <laughs> um, he's also known for the Cornetto trilogy, which is... Uh, Shaun of the Dead, uh, Hot Fuzz. And The World's End. Hey, I remember this time. <laughs> you got it right. <laughs> um, he also came out with the amazing Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, which yep. is based on a phenomenal... Uh, Graphic novel series, which is just so funny and so tongue in cheek, and yeah. that's really where he started playing with the idea of using uh, music and sound with the films. And there's plenty of nods to classic Nintendo games. And oh yeah, it's a t- it's kind of funny though because as much as I enjoy that, that's probably the first time Scott Pilgrim was like not um, his own work. That was the first time he adapted something to yeah. film. Yeah. Which I was okay with, but it, you know, after seeing the Cornetto trilogy and him do that, I'm like, the man works with what he's got, and he does his own thing, and he does it well. Yeah, I agree. You know. Um, okay, so in the spirit of Edgar Wright, I decided that my we should talk in British accents. Right. Okay. So in the spirit of Edgar Wright. Right. Yeah. I can't do any more than that. Sorry. That's it. Yeah. No. Sorry. That, that's okay. That's not bad. <laughs> Anyways, um, I'll keep it up. You go ahead. Oh, God, I can't do this with you doing that. Uh, All right. So, um, listeners, last week it was Jesse's turn to um, figure out a film that I had not seen and we watched, which was What About Bob? Yes. So, this week I get to pick a film that Jesse hasn't seen. And I figured that I would do the same thing that he did to me. So, on my machine, on my computer, I have a list of films that are journeys. Journeys. Not journalists. Journalists. No, journeys. Journeys. Not Jenny. Jenny. Journey. Journey. Thank you. Okay. I think I've got journeys. All right, please stop so we can actually go through this. (laughs) Okay. So um, every film that I have listed are movies that I have watched multiple times. Some of them I can quote front and back that I consider are journeys. Um, action-adventure films, which Baby Driver is an action-adventure film. Okay. So, 
We're going to go down the list. All right. And we'll talk about each of them. And then I, there are some that I've actually made into bold because I have a feeling that these are ones that you haven't seen that are like, you must have seen. So, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. The Fifth Element is number one. Yeah. Definitely seen and own and seen multiple times. Okay. Flossed in Paradise. Dude. Luc Besson. That man. He's so good. This also gives me a great opportunity to do another plug for Gary Oldman again. <laughs> the man is a genius. He's Commissioner Gordon. Um I mean, he's many people. He's well, Dracula. Yeah, that's true. Um, he, he's run the, the gamut. But he's, the thing is, is that he's so good at his craft that people don't recognize him, recognize him yeah. in all of his films. It's true. He transforms. And because, of it, because of it, though, he doesn't get the credit that he deserves. It's it's quite, tr- yeah, it's not fair. It's not fair. I agree. But anyways, all right, so you've seen The Fifth Element. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, a movie that as a child I broke as a VHS because I had watched it so many times. Willow. Oh, okay. So I'll go ahead and tell you I haven't seen it. Woo-hoo. That was one of those I wanted to see. Saw it many times in Blockbuster and was like, Dad, I want to see this. And he was like, no, son. <laughs> and I would be like, hey, Dad, I want to see this. He'd be like, don't ask me again, son. And I'd be like, hey, Dad. He was like, no. Now, here's the cool thing about Willow. Uh, Willow itself has uh, a-, a champion of a cast. Actually, not really, but they do have uh, Val Kilmer. And Warwick Davis. Who is Wicked the Ewok, if you don't know this. Right. Uh, and it is definitely a journey. And yes. here's the cool thing about Willow that I love the most, is that George Lucas is involved. Now, he's the writer for the film, but the director for the film is none other than the great Ron Howard from yeah. Happy Days. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> The director of Apollo 13, American Graffiti. Yes, how um, the Grinch Stole Christmas. Uh, okay, we can gloss over that one. What? I mean, it's okay. It's amazing. I am a fan of the cartoon. We're going to go focus back on Willow, because we still have some other movies I want to talk Fine. about before this. Fine. Um, if this we choose guy. this film, okay, there are, there are blatant parallels between this movie and Star Wars A New Hope. Okay. Like... Like it's nearly the same thing. Lucas was like, it, let's just put this on the ground and not in space. To the point of frustration. <laughs> like if we watch this, we you can we, we, we can literally just go ever over every character's name and then you can literally pick a character out of Star Wars and they're the same personnel. Because you gotta remember, Star Wars is a hero's journey. A lot of these movies are hero's journeys. Mm-hmm. So Willow. That's right, we're thinking on that. Okay. We're thinking about that. Let, let's just shelve that for a minute. Okay. Um the Patriot with Mel Gibson. Oh, yeah. So, uh, that, so I'm going to tell a quick story. So I remember seeing this in theaters with my dad and my brother. And up until this point, I wasn't the kind of guy who like teared up in, in any movie I've ever seen. And I saw this film, and I did cry. Like a single American tear rolling down your cheek. All of us did. And dad never cried in films. And Joel pretty much didn't either. My brother didn't do it really that much either. And I just, we all walked out and we were all like, did it not get you? Well, think about it. It's a dad with sons watching a movie about a dad with sons. Yeah. Who die. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that, yeah. But that wasn't that point. I think you know the point where we just lost it. It's when he his daughter. The line? Oh, the oh yeah. And I'll say anything. Just yes. don't go. Oh my gosh. Yeah, such a good part. <laughs> oh. 
Oh, it's so good. It's a great movie. I, it was on the list for a reason, because if you hadn't seen that, that's yeah, like, oh. Roland Emmerich, good stuff. Yeah, you know, um, that most of that movie was actually filmed uh, where I grew up. Oh, um, really? Southeast Virginia, yeah. Nice. Um, Yorktown is yeah. actually in Southeast Virginia. Okay. It's about an hour from where I grew up, and the battle at Yorktown was filmed in Yorktown, and they, I mean, because... Virginia is, is, has no shortage of Revolutionary War reenactors. I think it's actually the most. Sure, I would imagine. So, yeah. um, even growing up, I, w- I used to do Revolutionary War reenactment. You did them or you went to them? Both. Dude. Yeah. Nice. Um, I was a, uh, well, because I never, by the time I got old enough to do it, then everyone made fun of me for doing it, so I stopped doing it. Uh, so, you know, I loaded cannons, which is still pretty cool. That's dope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways, moving on. Oh man, I have a feeling you've seen some of these, and then I know I can go down these lists real quick, and you probably say nope, 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 nope. Um, oh brother, where art thou? You have seen. Yes. I assumed you. Had. I hated it the first like three times I watched it, and then for whatever no, it's the first two times. I don't even know why I went a second time because I hated it, and then I saw it a third time for some reason because my whole family loved it, and I was like, I love this. What was wrong with me this yeah. whole time? Well, you see, you see, Jesse, I'm a dapper Dan man. Oh, are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we thought you was a toad. <laughs> oh my gosh, there's so many. Yeah, okay. I'm also a man of constant sorrow. <laughs> uh, yes, sorry. I have the soundtrack. I listen to that. It's great. So many it's, times. It's great. It's got so many great country singers on it. Actually, um, Alison Krauss and Union Station are they on that? I think so. Because it's basically a bluegrass album. It is a bluegrass album. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, okay. So I knew you had seen that. Now the last. Four on the list I know you haven't seen, so I'm going to rapid-fire them, and I'm going to stop on the one that I'm really hoping that you'll be willing to watch with me. Um, one of my top five favorite films of all time is The Great Escape with Steve McQueen. Yeah, I've seen it. No! Well, that's good. I'm I happy. saw that when I was a kid. Okay. And many times after. Okay. Well, it's like, if you had not seen that, <laughs> I would really want to watch that today because I'm in the mood, but it's like, you know, three hours long. So. Right. All right. Um, the Bridge in the River Kwai. With Obi-Wan Kenobi, Sarah Alec Guinness. Right. No, I haven't seen it. Ooh. Yeah. Now, that is a classic film actually based on a true story. Right. Oh, so that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, fantastic cast. Fantastic film. Um, Didn't it win an Academy Award for, like, Best Picture or something? Yes. Did yeah. I, okay. I, well, let, let me just... I was like, I wasn't 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure that... that it, it, I know enough that it's an important film, for oh, sure. Oh, yeah, dude. Well, here's the thing. Uh... Th- you, you, you've definitely heard um, a whistling song from the movie. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And on and on. Right. It's Colonel Bogey, it's actually a, 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 an actual wartime march song, but right. this movie made it popular and then people started singing songs about Comet. Yeah. You know, making your teeth turn green. Did you ever see Comet? It makes your teeth turn green. I don't know. I wasn't born in the like '30s or whatever. Okay, you know what? So, Never mind. The movie came out in the '50s. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, it didn't happen at the same time. I'm sure it was like based on previous events. Okay. Fine. Listen. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Um, it's kind of funny. They. I. I. Oh, pff, dude. Not just one. They won seven Oscars. That's that's a lot. That's more than six people. Yeah. Okay. So best picture. Best actor, best director, best writing, 
best cinematography, best film editing, and best music. Now, not to say that the other contenders weren't good, but they must have sucked if it basically swept everything. Now, granted, like I said, I'm sure they're good films, but I know, especially back then, it was like pretty easy to be like, oh yeah, of course this won. You know, why wouldn't it win? Okay, so um, 1957, the 29th Academy Awards, that's not right. It didn't, I mean, the movie came out in 1957, so the Academy it Award probably, probably in 1958. Let's see, could be 56, we'll see. Yeah. Okay, they, Bridge in the River Kwai. Yeah. So let's just see the nom- nominations. So, um, okay, yeah, Al Guinness is totally going to win that. There's Marlon Brando was nominated but for a movie I've never heard of, Sayonara. Yeah, I know. I was like, I've never heard of that. Okay. Um, let's see, what else did they win? Art Direction. Nope, they didn't win that one. Come on, here we go. Cinematography, Bridge in the River Kwai. A nomi- look at the other nominees okay, though and yeah. a fair to remember and funny face funny face yeah. those are fantastic movies right okay um directing bridge and Kwai. look no way no. holy moly okay this is not okay it's a contender against 12 angry men it which should was not have won episode one and i haven't even seen it man i had so many other movies i really wanted to watch with you but just the level of pushback from you on this. That annoys I me. I feel like we have to watch <laughs> this one. I Oh, 12 Angry Men was so good. So good. But hey, um, he, beat, he beat it. I mean, I mean, I could, I, I mean, it could be better. I, and it also beat out 12 Angry Men for best motion picture. Oh my How gosh. How do you feel now? That's absolutely garbage. That, that is. That can't be true. Uh, so, Tell me it ain't so. Yeah, I think it is so, my friend. Um, oh, so, man. Um, the one I really wanted to land on, which we're not going to because I, I think we have our film, is uh, Cold Mountain, which I will save for another time because I know you haven't seen it. Right. And um, it, it's, it's the gorgeous film. Yeah. And, and superbly acted by everybody, including Nicole Kidman, who, in my opinion, is vapid in most roles she does. Except for Batman Forever. Clearly, Batman Forever is one of the best films ever made. Amen. Well, Jim Carrey, Val Kilmer, Nicole Kidman. Yeah, Tommy um, Lee Jones. Who was Poison Ivy? Well, Uma Thurman was in Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin. Okay, wait, wait. So, it was Riddler, was Jim Carrey, Two-Faces, Tommy Lee Jones. Was there any other bad guys? No, they were the only two. They were the two main ones. However... Drew Barrymore is in it. Okay. As one of Two Faces' two girlfriends. Right. Yeah. Fun fact. Yeah, another, another Batman fact you've somehow brought in. Too. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. So we will go to the bridge on the River Kwai. Jesse, if you don't mind taking a step out for a second. Okay. I will go ahead and read the synopsis. Once again, remember, we do our best to not talk about it too much. Uh, just so. Jesse, or who, or I, don't know much when we're going into the film. So, here is the synopsis for The Bridge on the River Kwai. Spectacularly produced and the winner of seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Actor. Sir Alec Guinness won the Best Actor. You might know him as Obi-Wan Kenobi. The Bridge on the River Kwai continues to be one of the most memorable cinematic experiences of all time. 
So if just is like this, it's his own darn fault. Following an extensive 4K digital restoration, you don't have to worry about that. Um, experienced director David Lean's masterpiece, if you've, as you've never have before. Um, it also has William Holden and Jack Hawkins. You might have recognized them as from other films, but I can promise you this. The fact that this man has not seen this film is heartbreaking, to say the least, because he's Alec Guinness, as great as Obi-Wan, but is even better in this movie. All right, so... It's going to be 30 seconds for you, but it's going to be a good couple of hours for us. We're going to watch this movie, and we're going to come back, and I would love to hear Jesse complain about how much he would wish this didn't beat 12 Angry Men, but it has beaten 12 Angry Men. Stay tuned. Welcome back to In Review, and we have just finished watching The Bridge on the River Kwai. Yes, we have. And before we get started into the film, I realized that my synopsis that I read um, was pulled from a 4K DVD restoration. Really didn't give a good synopsis of The Bridge on the River Kwai. So, Jesse, I'm curious, if you were to tell somebody about this movie... What, how would you actually pitch it? How would you actually give a synopsis for it? I think I would say something along the lines of a captured battalion of British troops during World War II end up building a bridge for the enemy, a.k.a. the Japanese, against the better judgment of nearly every commanding officer in the British Army. One rogue American makes an escape and finds himself back to destroy the very thing that they had worked so hard to build. I like it. I feel like you're you're not you're not really leaving any room for <laughs> this. Like I thought, like a back of a DVD cover, you like put something in there like a teaser, so like they want to watch it. But you pretty much have just told them the entire film. <laughs> well, I mean, you gave them nothing apparently, from what I gathered. <laughs> I felt bad about it, so I wanted to start off with that. Now you, now you got your synopsis. If you've never seen the film, though... Um, I think that's a pretty decent amount. I've left out all kinds of things in between, but I've summed it up. Sure, okay. Let's get started with some facts. <laughs> Obviously, you're probably going to have m many notes on 12 Angry Men and why you think 12 Angry Men is superior to this film, but I don't want to hear that <laughs> right now. All right, so first off, Let's start with the director, David Lean. Okay. David Lean is also known for two other very well-known films. Lawrence of Arabia. Okay. Who had Sir awesome. Alec Guinness. Yeah. And Peter O'Toole. Right. And Dr. Zhivago. Ah. All very long movies that very few people can sit and actually watch anymore. That That's very true. But uh, here's the funny one. Um... <laughs> He uh, would have never been considered 
to direct the Bridge on the River Kwai if it wasn't for Catherine Hepburn. Really? Yeah. The star of his film in 1955, Summertime. She recommended Lean to producer Sam Spiegel, who had turned who had been turned down by Fred Zinneman, Willem Wyler, and Carol Reed, and offered the directing job to Lean as a last resort. Goodness. And this is considered one of the top ten films of all time. The Bridge of the River Kwai, by the way. Also, who's top ten? I well, we can look it up. Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> Okay, um, David Lee needed to work specifically because he had been through a costly divorce from his wife, Ann Todd. Wow. According to one biography, he was so broke and needed work that he had even pawned his gold cigarette case. Wow, because that'll fetch top dollar. You know it. Okay. Oh. Um, so <laughs> there's that. Um, I thought it was interesting that the Japanese government actually... Um, sent a military advisor to help with the camp scenes. So the way that the POW camp was constructed, how it was led, is actually all true to form on how a Japanese crew would actually run a POW camp. It impresses me that they've taken this level of like scrutiny to something so old, if you will. I feel like that's something that is more and more like in the minds of recent film, but people don't give film like this the credit like that like that's incredible yep uh, <laughs> two two more interesting facts because I, I think these are all really good the head of Columbia Pictures was so pissed when he read the script that there was no love interest that he ordered one in the film hence the reason with the weird nurse part when he's in the hospital when, yeah when Shears commander right quote, Shears is in the hospital that oh, nurse yeah it's all forced it actually wasn't originally in the script yeah, also the blonde bombshell that he in, was with on the beach. Yeah, so I'm saying that one, that was all force. That was actually part of the script. He was like, put it in there, dang it. I need a love interest. I in can't it. sell this without exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. No, no woman's going to go see this film, so I need to put a love interest. I mean, hey. Hey, uh, speaking of Commander Shears, that role was originally written for and typecasted for none other than Mr. Cary Grant himself. That's what I kind of felt, you know? Yeah, but... Got that vibe. The uh, the guy who actually played uh, Shears is... Um, William Holden. Who is known for his role prior to this in a movie called Stalag 17. It actually yes. got him this role. And in fact, he didn't even want to do it. He got paid double the amount of David Lean, the director, to actually do it. Oh my gosh. Isn't that sad? That... That's crazy. I, I just love. It's, I mean, that's incredible. This is even better. The, the, but so all, all all of these are like you know, um, Hollywood uh, things. But here is my favorite one: when the Bridge on the River Kwai actually won originally the uh, the Academy Award for uh, Best Screenplay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it actually wasn't given to the two original screenwriters of the film. It was given to the writer of the book itself. Huh. Um, uh, Boulet, I believe, or Poulet. I, I could pull it up. But, right. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Pierre Boulet, who, who it, the book was originally written in French, cannot speak English, did not actually go to the Oscars to pick up his Oscar. The reason why the two original writers, Carl Foreman and Michael Whistler, never got credit, um, they were ineligible for the Academy Awards. Why do you think they are now ineligible for the Academy Awards? 
Because they were communists. Because they were communists. Oh, I called it. I was actually kidding. They were blacklisted from no the academy. Way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so good at this. <laughs> it's not until 1980-something that they were actually officially recognized by the Academy as the screenwriters for that film. Wow. Um, so, uh, No, that makes total sense, especially during that time. There were so many yeah, blacklisted. Dude. McCarthy. Got to love him. McCarthy. Or hate him. Actually, probably yeah, I guess it depends on how, yeah, how you look at it. <laughs> but still, uh, you know, a lot of interesting facts that revolve around this movie. Uh, Alec Guinness actually... Um, didn't stay when they blew up the bridge. They actually built an actual bridge for this movie and blew it up. Yeah, that's um, what it looked like. Alec Guinness left before they blew it up. Didn't want to be a part of it. Um, and uh, he, Alec Guinness is also, sorry I'm like taking this up with all these interesting facts, but the last one, <laughs> I promise is the last one. It's okay. Um, the scene where Alec Guinness is um, taken out of the oven for the last time and he's barely able to walk and stand and everything mm. he considers it his finest piece of acting achievement and he mimicked it from when his child was recovering from polio wow wow it shows i was i mean this all leads into things that i want to talk about anyway i mean sir alec guinness of course is unbelievably amazing at everything he does, mm -hmm. whether it's comedy or drama or what have you, science fiction, it doesn't matter. The man knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And when you see a lot of things, especially in like, I guess, more modern day warfare, it's like films. You see, you see, sure, you see people wounded, but like, I I really did believe that he'd been in there for like, you know, weeks and weeks. Oh yeah, for sure. Just genuinely, the the man sold it so well. Uh -huh. It was incredible. Yeah, you know, here's the funny thing about Alec Guinness, too, is that um, he didn't really originally want the role because the role originally was written as a tight-lipped colonel. Yeah. Um, so uh, they rewrote the role specifically to appease to Alec Guinness's personality. Wow. Well, yeah. that's awesome. It then shows. Um, colonel Nicholson in itself is a great character. Yeah, absolutely. We can go through all of it. My favorite part, though is um, when he finally is able to get, um, was it Commander Saito? Colonel Saito, sorry, I got it. Right. Uh, when they got Colonel Saito to get him out of the oven and he starts taking control of the situation instead of letting Saito take control of the situation. Yeah. He does it in such a great way. There's the scene where they finally analyze the bridge and determine that they're going to have to do a couple of things. They determine that they're going to have to move the bridge that um, they're going to make his people, like not Saito's people, but Cur um, uh, Colonel Lickerson's people, the Brits, um, work two yards a day instead of one and a half yards a day. And then at the very end, he asked Saito for his own men to also work two yards a day. And what I love about that scene is the fact that delivering all of this news that would be bad news that would usually set up Saito, he knew it. And so and what he would do is right before he'd have his people go, hey, uh, why don't you go and show him the report? Right when he stands up, the guy stands up and like, here's my report, blah, 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 blah. All this data, data, data. He goes like, okay, can you order us uh, tea, Colonel Saito? That'd be great. Can you order us dinner, Colonel Saito? That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. And it's so interesting. And this is what I genuinely love about his character is it starts in the very, very beginning of the film. He's absolutely unwavering in his beliefs and his duty and you see that immediately 
because he's like, I'm not going to do what you're asking us to do because it's against the Geneva Convention. Immediately cites it to him, and I didn't know British people were such bleeders. Immediately gets smacked with a piece of paper <laughs> in his face, and his face is just blood. Paper cuts can be painful. I mean, I guess so. But <laughs> after that, like you said, when they go and they meet after he's been in there for a while, he's starved. He's just lost all kinds of weight and barely can stand. And he just sits there and Saito is pleading with him. And he says, Do you know what will happen to me? If the bridge is not ready in time, I have the phobias. I'll have to kill myself. What would you do if you are me? I suppose if I were you, I'd have to kill myself. Such a great line. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's just, it's so simple. But, I mean, clearly, Nicholson is like, Colonel Nicholson is like nearly dead. And he still has his wits about him. And he's not afraid to speak with the authority that he has. Mm -hmm. He hasn't given up just because he's been imprisoned and his whole squad has too. Mm -hmm. And I love that. That's something that I feel like a lot of people cave and they give up, especially with like the medical doctor that's there who keeps trying to kind of tell him, hey, just give him a little bit. No one's going to know or care. It's not going to be a problem. And he refuses to. Like, because then they'll win. I also love the line where he says, you know, the difference between... Um, if, if, if the men don't have anyone to look up to is they no longer be uh, when they have no officers to listen to then they're no longer looked at as soldiers but as slaves exactly and then he looks to commander shares and he goes I, I don't i don't know sir i i'm just a slave yeah just <laughs> yeah, just plain and simple you know, he, he's got it beaten out of him completely which yeah. is um another thing for another time but i think that staying on nicholson for a minute yes. al guinness's character um the whole film is revolved around the fact that the, the doctor pleads with them. Shears pleads with them. Um, uh, and, and the big thing is, is they're trying to push him to realize that duty and honor are one thing. Principles are another thing. And if you stick to your principles, which in his mind, and it says it in the film when, he, when they first arrive at the camp, he says that um, we were ordered to surrender. So by me not doing what they're asking of us, I'm actually not performing my duty. But the reason why it's set in place, it's part of the, um, the not the Geneva, maybe not the Geneva Convention, but each soldier has a duty that when they are captured, they do their biggest, their, their best to try and escape. And he even tells them it's pointless to do an escape committee because we'll all die. Chances are one out of 100. And then Shearer says, well, to be honest with you, the odds are greater against you if you stay here. He doesn't take that into account, completely ignores it. And because of it, completely ignoring all uh, just sticking so much to his principle and ignoring all the advice from all the people around him the very very end of the film what happens he mixes his principles and his duties and is actually protecting the enemy yeah that's the reason why at the very end he goes what have i done yeah because he, he light bulb moment right. unfortunately at the cost of, of of british men yeah of so yeah of so many and it's, it's incredible because, like, I still respect Nicholson. But you do, you do have to question his motives a little bit, especially at the end right there. You, you just real, he, he even realizes. 
And I think on one hand, yes, everything he did was very noble and he, and he kept morale up and things went well and got better, if you will. But it wasn't until the last moment, like you said. And it's, it's such a beautiful, like every actor in this film, not just Guinness, it, as amazing as he was, but like William Holden was incredible. Even, mm-hmm. uh, even Saito, Saito has a breakdown after he tells Nicholson, you know what? fine your office officers don't have to work they can just be advisors he gives in and his breakdown is fantastic i mean like it's yeah, just they're all cheering yeah and he's in his bed weeping yeah because he knows he's lost exactly he just lost all control in that moment he tries to play it off and he does really well even before that because he sounds kind of cocky like hey today's a day to celebrate you know so we're going to go ahead and I'll be gracious. And he, he does a really good job of like sugarcoating it, you know? Yeah. But just realizes he knows I, that I let him win. Uh, that actor that plays Colonel Saito, Susui Hayakawa, mm-hmm. um, is actually well known in Japan in the early 1900s as an erotic villain for film. That's gross. Yeah. Just wanted to throw that out there. That was an interesting fun fact, too. Uh, I'm full of fun facts today, my uh, friend. That was a gross fact. Sorry. <laughs> um, I love how in the first half of the film, so because we're, we're going to pivot a little bit because I know you want to talk about 12 Angry Men. And, I want to talk about a lot feel, of things. Well, you feel slighted that 12 Angry Men did not get the best picture for this year. Here's some funny things. Okay. David Lean, first of all, wanted to uh, get this film out. On December the 31st, 1957, specifically so that it could be considered for the 1958 oh Academy Awards. Oh my gosh. That so technically is garbage. It's even more of a cheap slight than you think it is. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, we're going to use some more comparisons between this and 12 Angry Men. One of the things that you even mentioned in the very beginning was just like, you know what? 12 Angry Men is in black and white. Yes. And... I did some Bridget looking up, too. It was on color. Well, yeah. first of all, the first major well-known film in color is what? The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz. Um, yeah. Which was, what, 1940? Like, 39. Oh, wow. Even earlier than I thought. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, so... So, yeah, actually, I want to talk about that, because that's okay, something I sure. looked up. Now, um, as far... Like you said, that's probably the most well-known example, followed by Gone, Gone with the Wind in 39, and this was 58 right mm-hmm. nearly 20 years later color film has been around now for a while mm-hmm. right and and that year in particular the 1958 academy awards involved as far as the picture the the movies that were considered there was five i believe and three out of the five were in black and white there were only or sorry no i think three were in color and there was only like two black and white which kind of strikes me as odd because I kind of thought, okay, maybe this was around the time that color film just came out and it just kind of happened to be, you know, on the back end of it. And they were like, well, we've already started, so there's no point. But they could have done 12 Angry Men in Color. They could have done a lot of that stuff. And even, even before that time, a lot of people colored film physically by hand, even like early 1900s, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just because they wanted that effect and they weren't able to duplicate it. In, in a film capacity. In a still capacity for a photograph, they could do that, but they couldn't do it for a long ex- uh, exposure, you know, for extended periods of time. So I don't know. 
I know I get all worked up. Part of it is I, it's not, they're not the same film, and they're very, very different. So then let's ask the question, why do you think 12 Angry Men went black and white, and why do you think Bridge of the River Kwai went color? I have my own thoughts about this. I think part of it is 12 Angry Men was, I mean, I could be wrong, but I think in general, and I, I know this in general, is that black and white was just so much cheaper than color film. True, and you can definitely tell a 12 Angry Man in itself was um, a lower budget film. Right. Much more than Bridge I mean, Bridge of the you could definitely tell they threw money at it. Oh, yeah, and it was in Cinemascope, which it was in widescreen. Yep. 12 Angry Men is not. And so, Pilgrimage in one location. Yeah, and so, and Henry Fonda was the only real name behind it, but you had William Holden, and you had Sir Alec Guinness, and you had a couple other people, including uh, the actor who played Colonel Saito. I forget his name, but you had a lot more money involved, and you were building a bridge, and you were on location, and there was just so much more involved as far as money was concerned. That's true. Um, you know, you're you're listening to other people, but uh, another big name is actually Jack Hawkins. Ben Hur, Lawrence Arabia, Bridge of the River Kwai, and Zulu. I mean, the guy's actually been in a lot. So there are a lot of famous people. Exactly. Uh, my 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 argument, and it was something that I I actually really wanted to call out was, um, I think one of the reasons why color was such a big deal for this film, not only probably because of the gimmick of throwing a lot of money at it, which I I agree is part of it, mm-hmm. um, but I think the environment is actually a character within the Bridge of the River Kwai. Yeah, absolutely. And it's hard to do environment in a black and white film. They do such a really good job of making the sun and that excruciating heat and the jungle and the bird, like, you know, when they shot the guns and the bird was swirling in the air. Oh, gosh, I love that shot. Yeah, so, I mean, they're making the environment a character in the film. And I think that it's a much easier task to do when you make it in color. Um, In fact, one of my favorite lines in the film is when the doctor goes, are they both mad? Or am I going mad? Or is it the sun? Right, exactly. <laughs> like, you can't figure it out. Like, basically, like, have you ever, well, it's Texas. We live in Texas, and it's super hot here all the time. And there's some times where the weather honestly just gets me hot and bothered. Yeah. No, I'm, I know it does to most nearly everybody. Yeah. I welcome it. <laughs> But it's funny you say that because, the, like, I do love that about this, and I think that this is honestly a key aspect of nearly every film ever made, whether it's dramatic or not. There's comedy in some fashion. Mm-hmm. And so even when um, Major Shears ends up at um, the, the office to learn about his uh, basically going back, mm-hmm. he gets ambushed by one of the commandos <laughs> on the way, and... The guy stop. Uh, the guy stops him. I thought you were the enemy, sir. Well, I'm an American, if that's what you mean. <laughs> or when they're like, the consensus of opinion is that the most sensible thing for Major Shears to do is to go ahead and jump and hope for the best, with or without parachute. Yeah, do I get a shoot? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they just, it takes the two like British soldiers like maybe five seconds to react, but they just laugh hysterically. <laughs> and you can tell Major Shears is like, I'm being serious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You want me dead. <laughs> 
It, um, man, I think the, I think the, the, the film hit so many great parts. Um, but the question of the day is, do you actually think that this movie is as good or better than 12 Angry Men? Yeah, no, it absolutely is allowed to be in the category of being equal, equal for sure. Like, I, here's, the, here's the predicament for me. I have, it's mood swings for me on a day, whether, you know, I'm going to pick something over something else. And, you know, if I was in the mood for a war movie, The Great Escape, The Bridge on the River Kwai, Saving Private Ryan, all these things fit in a great epic category and I feel like 12 Angry Men didn't get quite the shot that maybe it could I don't know that it it got a sh- it got the shot it deserved it did it was considered among all this because even as simple as it is it is that good of a story and it is that well acted and it is compo- the film shots are composed every every camera angle everything was so meticulously done that it was just brilliant I can say that though for this, because there are so many different shots in Bridge on the River Kwai that I was looking at, where they place the camera in a very specific angle, you know, just to get exactly with the lines, everything's cut just right. When they shoot up at an angle, they did it on purpose to establish a dominance, like most people do, but they didn't do it all the time. It wasn't a cliche, and they even did bring in a small handheld moment when the Canadian soldier who has the detonator looks up over the rock, they did a handheld shot for his perspective. They did so many things on purpose. Every shot was on purpose. Yeah. It wasn't just thrown together like, cool, we'll just, you know, yeah, just we'll take like a 30 second take and we'll probably just keep it. Yeah. They really were, they knew what they wanted and they definitely pulled it off. For somebody who went through a major divorce and was barely even considered for this, he cared. Yeah, well, wouldn't you? I mean, not only that, but I mean, Catherine Hepburn put her you know, career on the line to recommend you. The Catherine Hepburn. Yeah, absolutely. Um, she's a firecracker. Okay, so right before we go, we're way over time, but I'm going <laughs> to rapid fire because you mentioned some epic war films, and I know this is like a category that you haven't seen a lot of, so I'm just going to rapid fire some war films that I consider classic war films this is just to gauge your level of knowledge because it'll help me in the future when we start running out of films so you've seen The Great Escape yeah The Dirty Dozen no The Longest Day no The Sands of Iwo Jima no A Bridge Too Far no okay Slag 17 I own it but I haven't seen it yet Das Boot no okay yeah. Um, as far as classic war films, I wasn't strictly raised on those. It was. How, how about like the Thin Red Line? Um, I saw most of it uh, okay. when I was younger. I didn't see it all. Okay. Well, we'll wrap it up by saying um, in two more weeks' time we'll be seeing Dunkirk in seventy millimeter. Oh my gosh. Which is another going to be probably another oh, epic war film. Yes. Um, Christopher Nolan will be talking about you in two more weeks. And by the way, listeners. By the time that we get to that point, it will be another opportunity for you to help us figure out another film. Yes. And so we will be racking our brains, and we probably will theme it. And the other thing, too, is obviously we want to hear from you. So, I mean, if you have suggestions, let us know. But, you know, we'll have stuff for you to choose from, provided we don't get too many options. Or we get too many options, and we have to narrow it down. (laughs) Um, Anyways... 
This has been In Review. I'm Jesse. I'm Ryan. And tune in next week for our next episode. Where we will be doing Riverdance and you will not see us do it. <laughs>